Good morning, River City Church. It's been a while. Um, excited uh, to be able to share this morning, and a little a little nervous, right? This is more like this is more of of, of an extended testimony uh, with some teaching in it. Um, but really, it, my, my hope is that it will identify, some people will be able to identify with this message, that they'll be able to identify with their own experiences. I hope that it's not, uh, you know, too depressing. That's, that's, my, that's my biggest fear, okay? So uh, let me tell you, it, it started uh, about four years ago. This experience of mine started about four years ago when I found out that I was going to die, not from anything specific, just in general, like that I'm, I'm going to die at some point. It, all of you as well. Like this realization that me and everyone I know, we're all going to die. And Kit and I, we would, this became something that we would say to each other. It's like, oh, but we're all going to die anyways. So, but it, it, what, what prompted this realization, what prompted this like emotion, uh, weirdly, is uh, Facebook. Okay, so have you ever noticed on Facebook when, when you, well, I, and there's a lot of negative emotions associated with Facebook, but when you, when you go there and it shows you the, like, this moment in history, this moment, whatever, you know what I'm talking about? Here, can you put that moment up? So, do you have it? Ah, look at this. Nine years ago, so today is Rin's birthday, the little girl there. She's, she turned 13 today, so That'll really freak her out if everyone does that. Um, So she turned 13. Like, I see this memory. This is from this morning. And and you're like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. Nine years ago, look. Oh, she's so cute. She's four years old, but now she's 13. And now she, like, rolls her eyes at you. And, like, she's, like, entering into this. And, oh, look at Tommy. He's so cute. Oh, but now he's, like, 14. He's going to be driving. And so it's, like, this weird, you know what I'm talking about? It's this weird emotion, right? Because it's like, it's, you're kind of like happy about it, but you're also kind of like sad about it. You're like, oh my gosh, this was awesome. We went to Disney World. It was her birthday, but oh my gosh, now they're going to hate me soon. Like, like, you know what I mean? This passage of time, this experience of, I don't know. And so it started this process about four years ago. I was really, I'm not what you might call the most like emotionally in touch person. So I was like, I don't know what this emotion is. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is that I experience when I see these Facebook memories, but I kind of, and so I started this process of, of thinking through, like, what, what is it? What, what is this thing? And some might say, you know, that, that, dude, it sounds like a midlife crisis, but there's no way, because I'm, I'm only like 40-something, so I'm like a third of the way at most. <laughs> but I, I'm going through this process of, 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 of going through these emotions and what is it that, I, that I'm experiencing. Is that better? Oh, good. All right, so, so what is it? I see these moments and I'm thinking, as I see them, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like th- that's a great moment, but it's a moment that I'm not going to have again. It's a, oh man, oh, there's another one. Great moment. I loved it. Too bad. Not going to happen again. And so you stir this, this, this I, I feel like you're living your life like this. You're like looking backwards. Oh yeah, that was a great moment. That was a great moment back there. That was a great moment. Oh, yeah, missed it. Oh, there it goes. Bye. See you later. And you're not, like, experiencing the moments of the, 
the actual moments, right? Because you're looking backwards all day, and it starts this, this process, this, this spiral kind of, of uh, looking backward and feeling like I'm on this path to death, and there they go. All right, yep, here we go. Just another step forward. Now, keep in mind, it's not like there's anything worthwhile. Like, I'm not experiencing, like, I love my family. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love the things that I get to do at work. I love the people that I work with. Like, I've got nothing to complain about. I've got nothing. Like, like I, so I feel bad for feeling bad, right? Like, I shouldn't be feeling, like, what is this? What is going on? What is this thing that I'm experiencing? And this, this is really what began uh, this kind of desert wilderness experience. And my hope, again, my hope is that somebody goes, yes, okay, he's putting words to something that I've experienced or something I've felt, and hopefully I, it's, not, it's not just me. But in the midst of this weird funk and in this, this, this weird experience, something seriously does happen. And my brother, uh, just a year and a half older than me, he passes away suddenly. And so then it's like, all these moments, I remember like preparing for the funeral and like going through pictures and, and like every picture, I'm like, these are, these are moments that are, that are gone, right? These are, these are experiences and things that, that there's just, there's nothing. There's, there, you can't, I can't go back to that. And, and this really, I mean, it was, it was a, a hard time. And for those of you who are in that experience, you know, that it's still, you know, I want you to know that there are people that have experienced it, like you. And I, re- I remember one of the, one of the things that uh, was hardest was you'd wake up in the morning. You'd, when you were asleep, you'd kind of forget because you're asleep. But when you wake up, it was like you had that realization again. Oh, it's like, oh, my brother died. And it's like every morning you're reliving it, you know, until finally it becomes part of your memory. And, and, and so I just, I, I hope this morning that... Um, that you hear that you're not, you're not alone in that experience and that, in that pain because it's hard. It's, you kind of want to scream because you're looking at people and their life is just moving forward. And you're like, what? Well, you can't move forward. Like, didn't you not see what just happened? Like, you, you, you feel like you're, you're going crazy on the inside. And so I want you to hear this morning that you're not alone. And my hope that as we go through this, this, uh, exploration of Jesus in the wilderness this morning that it will minister to you. And so let me, let me pray and we'll, we'll take a look at the scriptures. God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you have given us truth to stand on, that you have given us revelation that we can look to. And I pray that you would take the words uh, that I've prepared this morning and that you would guide them, Lord, that you would make them true that as they penetrate people's hearts, that it would be your words that penetrate their heart. And I pray that your angels would be ministering to us this morning. And for those of us that have experienced that loss and that know those emotions and that feeling, God, I just, I pray for a closeness this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at at, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. And this is, uh, this is a real well-known passage of Scripture. And it's what I find myself going to as, as, I'm, as I'm going through this experience. This is, where, um, this is where I was ministered to most. And it's, so, it's, so it's Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
And like, we've all heard this passage, right? Like we've all, matter of fact, we've heard it at River City a couple times in the last, in the last several months. But I want us to really think about it and not over-spiritualize it. Like, like just take it at face value of what this passage says. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus, he's grown up his whole life with <clears throat> some expectation of, of big things, right? <clears throat> I don't know what his mom would say to him, but surely, <laughs> like, she can't say you're a loser. Like, she knows he's who he is. So he's gone through his life. He's gone through these experiences, and, and it, it kind of, uh, as it's getting closer and closer to his ministry, he goes to his cousin to be, to be baptized, and his cousin's like, man, th- this is a huge deal. He gets baptized, and he has this incredibly powerful experience where Jesus hears the voice of God the Father say, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He hears the God the Father say this, and then he sees God the Holy Spirit descend. I mean, he has this incredible experience of God, right? This incredible experience. God the Son experiences something that, that we will talk about for generations. But then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. What, what, is, what is the wilderness? Right? Like, I'm going to use wilderness and desert. I mean, it's the same. I, I, I don't like wilderness as much because I think Fort Wilderness, like Disney World, and like, it's not that. It's, it's definitely not that. It's more of a desert than that. And it's, and it's hard because there's so much spiritual meaning behind the wilderness and the desert, and there's all these parallels of, well, just like Israel was in the desert for 40, and like, okay, I'm going to try to avoid all of that, and let's just talk about the fact that it's a, it's a desert. It's a wilderness. It's absent of life. It's very, very sparse life. It is filled with danger, scorching heat by day and extreme cold by night, animals, scorpions, whatever, scarce supply of of the things that we need. This is what Jesus went into. And you know what? He didn't just walk into it. He was led by the Spirit into this, into the wilderness, into this danger. It was God's plan for him to experience the wilderness. It was God's plan. It wasn't the devil. It wasn't the devil who led him into the desert. The Holy Spirit led him to this place. Mark would say it this way. He said the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Think about that for a second. Jesus was led into a place of physical danger, spiritual danger, right? Because he's being led there to be tempted by the devil or tested by the devil. Jesus is led into this place of testing. Some of us may be in that place today and we wonder, how did I get here? Surely it's my sin. Surely I've screwed something up to experience the wilderness that I'm in right now. Surely it's my fault. Well, Jesus was led by the Spirit into that place. Why would God do that? Why would God do this? No clue. Just so you know. Like, don't know. Don't know. I can, I can come up with theories and I can quote verses, but you know what? Nobody wants to hear that especially if you're in the wilderness. Don't do it. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you thirsty? Yeah, don't worry. This is producing perseverance. 
Don't want to hear it. It's not helpful. When you're in the desert, when you're in the wilderness, yeah, I don't know why. But I, I, I do know that it's, it's not always a result of our own issues, that God could have actually put us in there. And I do know that the design of God is love, right? That ultimately the design of God is love. He says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, right? Let me lead you into the wilderness. <clears throat> the design of God is love. And our pain in the testing is not the effect of God's hate, but of God's love. Huh? I, I, again, I can't explain it, but I believe that it's true that our experience <clears throat> of pain is not the result. Can I drink this water? Whoever started it. Our experience of that pain is not the result of God's hate, but of God's love. And I, I, don't, I don't understand it. But will we believe that in the midst of it when we're experiencing it? Will we believe that oh, this is not the result of God's hate, but somehow this is God's love. So my wilderness, you know, my brother passes away, leaves behind incredible sister-in-law, three kids with no father. It's devastating. And so now you're telling me, well, the desert is part of God's plan, this barren land that I find myself in. It, it, it's somehow okay. Somehow, you know, Whatever. And I come to River City Church, and River City Church is a great church for raising your expectations of what God can do in your life, right? Oh, we hear testimonies. God gave me a job when I needed a job. God, whatever. Gee, River City Church raises our expectations. And you know what? When you're in the wilderness, that is hard to hear. That is hard, man, because I'm not seeing it. I'm in the barren land. I'm not seeing God move. I'm not seeing the results of my prayers. I am... I'm, I'm in a barren land, and it's hard to be in a church. I would much rather be in a church that lowers my expectations. Man, God might show up. Don't know. Good luck. Hope he does. Not River City. You know, intimacy with the— Oh, we love intimacy with the Father. But when you're missing out on those Jesus snuggles, it's hard. Right? You're not feeling that. This is where, this is where I was. Right? This is what it looks like in the wilderness. This is what it looks like. And the temptation, the testing, for me, I was never tempted to like, believe that God didn't exist. Didn't happen. It's not, like, it's not like I'm like, oh, God doesn't exist. There's too much to have happened in my life to believe that he didn't exist. Or that his word wasn't true. In fact, it's the opposite. In the wilderness, I, the, the word is what proved to be true. It was the only thing that proved to be true that I could look at and say, well, at least this is true. What was the temptation? What was the testing for me? Doubt the goodness of God. He might be real. Scriptures might be true. Is he good? How could a good God do that? How could a good God? Why, why, why would you create such a broken world? Why would you create a world where it's just from the minute something is created, it begins to decay? This world that is passing away. Why would you? That's doubting the goodness of God. Are you really good? That's a real temptation. That's a real temptation. To doubt the presence of God. God, where are you? Where are you? 
because I'm all I see are cactus, cactus, cacti. All right, all I see is the absence of life. Where are you? I doubt the presence of God. Because you know what? We can do anything, right? We can do anything if we know that God's with us. That's easy. If I know that God's with me, dude, I am, I'm in it to win it. There's nothing's going to stop me. It's when we doubt it. I don't know if he is here. I don't know if he is with me. Yeah, I know his spirit lives in me. I know Jesus is in my heart. I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. This is the temptation that God is absent, and it leads us, this, this void of experience of God, this void of God in our life can lead us to a place of meaninglessness. The temptation to believe that God is absent because I couldn't see him as real can lead to meaninglessness. And I was talking to a friend, I was talking to Tim Wright, and Tim was like, dude, you sound like Solomon. Like, you sound like Ecclesiastes. And I was like, yeah, well, I haven't read that in years. I remember thinking it was confusing when I read it. I went back and I read it, and it made so much sense. If you're in that place, Ecclesiastes will minister to you. Because this is a guy, and he paints this picture of the void. If you take God out, if you, if you introduce a void of God, it's meaningless. You experience all these emotions of meaninglessness. And this one guy that I was reading this one guy that I was reading, he kind of summed it up, and it was awesome because he was in a very similar spot, and he wrote this. He said, It took no time for the void of God to produce in me the void of meaning, the vanity, the emptiness, the striving after the wind that the preacher in Ecclesiastes proclaimed I understood as never before. Everything appeared hollow. Work appeared meaninglessness, meaningless. Rest appeared meaningless. Leisure appeared meaningless. The cosmos appeared meaningless. Life appeared meaningless. And I suddenly couldn't see God at all. And I saw the world as if God didn't exist. You might not believe that God doesn't exist, but you begin to see the world as if he didn't. That is this temptation. This is this testing in the wilderness. For me, for me. So now, the hard part, the possible heresy... All right, I'll give, you, I'll give you that, but let's go there anyways. Is it possible that Jesus experienced the same testing? Is it possible that Jesus experienced the same temptation in the wilderness? Is it possible that this, the void of God giving the appearance of meaninglessness, is it possible that Jesus experienced that? Tempted to believe that he's alone. Jesus, perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit, he watches as the Spirit descends. He hears the voice of God the Father. Is it possible that he was tempted to believe that he was alone? Yeah. Yeah, I know it's true, but I don't know. I can't see anything. This life that I'm around, it's, it's barren around here. You know, and, and Matthew, just to help explain, I think, my position, because I believe this is possible, Matthew kind of makes it sound like the angels are waiting to swoop in, right? After the testing, the angels swoop in to Jesus to minister to him, as if they are holding themselves back. As if God is holding himself back and allowing this experience of the wilderness 
for Jesus? Was God the Father silent to God the Son's prayers? Was, was God the Son, was Jesus not experiencing the fullness of God the Father in the wilderness? I would ask this, has, has anybody experienced that? Has anybody else experienced those temptations? Is it possible that Jesus experienced those temptations? Think about this. Central to what we believe, central to what we believe as Christians is that God took on flesh and blood and he walked among us in this screwed up, jacked up world. He chose to do that. That's, that's central to what we believe, that, that Emmanuel, that God with us, that Jesus, the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, he's the, the one that was driven into the wilderness. He was the one that was tested. The author of Hebrews would say, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Have you experienced that testing? Are you experiencing that testing right now? Have you ever thought that Jesus could identify with you in that place? Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus could identify with the man? I know he's real, but I'm not seeing it. I, I, I know he's real, but I, I, is he good? Because how could this happen? Let's pick up in Matthew 4. So Jesus is led into this place, and then what happens while he's there? Matthew 4, starting in verse 2. After 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Again, let's just stop for a second and state the obvious. He was hungry. Would you be hungry? He's there for 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit hungry. Do you see the humanity that's being captured in this? That Jesus, it's not some spiritual exercise for us to read about. It's not some illustration in a textbook. This is the story of God walking amongst us. And he is a human. And he's hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me pause for a second. We've heard the testing of Jesus. We've heard the, the temptations and his response. And so let me pause for a second and, and hope that you don't picture the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, dispassionate, Xanax-sedated Jesus that we sometimes see, like I love Jesus movies, right? Like I, I watch Jesus movies because I, I, again, I'm emotionally stunted. And so it's good for me to be able to see things and I can relate better to those things. And so you see Jesus in some of these movies and he's like, oh, man shall not live on whatever, bread alone. But on every word, you know, like this, 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 he's hungry, and you know what? He's experiencing some wilderness experience, some absence of the presence of God, and he is tested by the devil. That's not the picture that we always see. He was actually tempted. Hear me. He was actually tempted. Another Jesus movie, right? Uh, Ian McGregor, also Obi-Wan Kenobi from the Star Wars prequels, 
Or just David Gate. That's a Star Wars reference for you. So Ian McGregor plays Jesus in the desert, and it's uh, uh, this, this movie, and it's, and it's exploring, you know, what it was like for Jesus. And what, when we read these passages, it's easy to just go right through it and not realize he was there for 40 days. That's a long time, right? And so what was that? What happened? And so this movie kind of explores it, and um, he's tempted, and it, it captures the humanity because he's watching, he comes across this family that lives in the, in the desert and they're broken and messed up and the enemy is there testing him. Yeah, look what your father does. Look what your father does. He, he, he allows this to happen. Like, is it, can you really worship him? Can you really believe him? And it's compelling. You're watching it and it's compelling. He is being tested. He is being tempted to believe that God isn't good. He's being tempted to believe these things. He wasn't illustrating a point in this experience. It was real. Consider the humility of God that he would subject himself to this broken world, right? There is some part, like we all know, this world is a little messed up, right? It's a little broken. And he's not unwilling to step into that, which is the gospel, which is the presence of Jesus, Consider the humility of him, that he would do that. He has not called us to a humanity that he himself was unwilling to take. Think about that for a second. He has not called us to a humanity that he himself was unwilling to take. We suffer no pain that he was unwilling to bear. We have no grief that he was unwilling to carry. He is willing to step into that place. And so when he's responding to the, to the devil, don't fall into the trap of over-spiritualizing and thinking that he's just, you know, quoting scriptures and zinger, I got you, devil, ba-boom. You didn't know this verse, but I did because I memorized my Bible. No, he is being tempted. He's being tested. And when he responds with the scriptures, He is responding from a place of, man, this is hard for me. This is hard for me to respond to you right now, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe in the scriptures, and I'm going to quote the scriptures back to you. And then the testing continues in verse 5 through 10. And again, tons of parallel meanings of what the devil is tempting him with and his responses to it. I'm going to avoid all of that for right now, all right? I'm just going to say he's being tested by the devil, and in every case, he is responding in the scriptures. And so this has been used by pastors for years to tell you why you need to memorize your Bibles, and you need to know your scriptures, and you need to be able to respond to those things. But I am, I am here to say, I, be, I believe that when Jesus was doing that, he was coming from a place of, man, I don't know how I feel, but I know what's true. And I quote the scriptures. Because I can't trust my feelings, right? Sometimes we call that flying by instruments. Have you ever heard like flying by like an airplane when you can't, when you can't see, you have to fly by the instruments. And there's this story, uh, Air France in 2009, this plane, the pilot is, he's like taking a nap and the two co-pilots are flying the plane. They go through this storm and they have this need to pull up. They, like, they, 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 they can't see. And every instrument is telling them, do not pull up. 
right? Like you've already pulled up too much. And yet they're like, no, but I feel, I feel like I need to pull up. I need to, I need to pull up. And so they hold the plane in this position where it cannot fly. And every instrument is telling them, don't do it. You're in the middle of a storm. Don't trust your emotions. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the objective instruments that are in front of you. And they hold that plane. At one point, they ignore 75 warnings. Like 75 times the alarm has gone off that you are going to stall the plane and die. And yet they hold back. And this has become like a, a, a study in psychology because they're trying to understand how in the world could people ignore these warnings. The plane crashes, everyone dies. Again, this is the place that I'm at. Sorry, it's depressing. <laughs> but think about that. When we're going through the storms of testing, what do we know to be true? Because you cannot trust your emotions. Jesus, is it possible that when he was flying by the instruments and he was saying, you know what, I look around and I don't see God. I look around and I, I, I don't believe that God is good because how could things be so messed up? He just told me these things, but I don't see it. But I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust the objective input that I know is true in my instruments and I'm going I'm to use the scriptures. Is it possible that when he was quoting those scriptures, he was saying, man, I'm not feeling it. But here it is. This is the only thing I, got to, I only got to lean on, is this objective truth. That, do you see how different that is than some of the pictures that we have in our mind of Jesus responding with the scriptures to the, to the enemy? I feel like God is absent, but I know what I know to be true. And he quotes them out of faith. I don't see it as true, but I believe it. And so it's faith. He's exercising faith when he does that. If we're going to survive the desert, it's faith. That's what we see. That's the, my, my takeaway from that passage is faith because it's not seen. I don't see me getting fed by the Father, but I believe the scriptures are true. And so I'm going to quote the scripture. I'm going, to, I'm going to hang my hat on it. I'm going to believe it to be true. Faith, it's not blind Think about this for a second. So he's responding in faith when he quotes these scriptures, but it is not from a blind sense. He is saying, I have experienced this scripture to be true. I heard the voice of God. I saw the spirit of God. I am not just faking it till I make it. I'm not just saying these words and hoping that they're true. I have substance to my faith. This is what we as Christians believe. There should be a substance to our faith. It is not blind. We look backwards at the experiences of our lives. We look backwards at the history. And we say there is, there is evidence to support me believing in faith as I move forward. Jesus is looking backward and saying, you know what? I know my experience of the Father. I know. And so even though I don't, I don't feel it, I'm going to exercise my faith as I move forward. And I'm going to believe the scriptures and I'm going to quote the scriptures this meaninglessness that we can experience when, when we're not experiencing God, when we're in this void, this meaninglessness can be compelling because we feel it. But it's so untrue, and we know it's untrue. And so at the same time that we feel like, oh my gosh, it's compelling because of the apparent absence of God, it's untrue because of my experience of God. And so this morning, what, what are those experiences for you? What are those times that you knew what you knew to be true? that you can look back to, 
that give you faith in, in the wilderness. Matthew 4.11. So he's, test, he's tested. He's made it through the gauntlet of 40 days. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Again, it feels like they're waiting. He's made it through. He's made it through the tempting. He's made it through the testing. And then here they come to minister to him. For me, it's been a long journey. Like, I don't, I don't know that I've had the angel quite experience, you know, of like, certainly like seeing them. I feel like I'm on the tail end. I feel like I'm coming out of it. I feel God ministering to me. And I hope that you can hold on. For those of you that are in that experience, what can you take away this morning? For those of you who are in there now, that Jesus sympathizes with us. It's, it's, it sympathizes, doesn't do it justice. He empathizes. He, he, he experiences what we experience. For those of you that are in that place of the wilderness, the gospel that God walked among us as Jesus, man, I, I hope that helps. Even when we don't have the warm fuzzies, and we don't have the Jesus snuggles, that we have a God who's not unsympathetic to what we're experiencing. And that we trust his word. We exercise faith by remembering the things that he's done. And we keep our eyes out looking for his angels. And for those of us who aren't there, those of us who aren't in that wilderness experience, you're like, man, I'm just loving Jesus. Jesus is all over the place. I see him all. Great. That is awesome. Just know that the desert is normal. The desert is normal. Jesus went into the desert. Jesus went into the wilderness. It's okay. It's normal. More than that, more than normal, it's part of God's plan. Dang. I hope that helps this morning. So right now, I want us to stand and just take the opportunity to, like, worship from that place. Worship from that place of, of the desert, of the wilderness. And I think um, there's, there's a, a passage that I want to read because I think as I have been able to process this more and more, I think there is a tendency for us to put our hope in the world that's passing away, right? That we focus on that to the point where we miss the bigger picture of what God is doing. Yes, God is going to recreate the world, that God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and it's going to be awesome. But when our hope is in this world, I think that leads us, or definitely for me, it leads us to that place. That, that beginning experience. And so Romans 8, I feel like, captures it so well. So I just want to read this before we, before we uh, pray and worship. For the creation was subjected to frustration. The creation, the world that we experienced was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Why? I have no idea in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits, Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So this morning as we worship, I pray 
that we could put our hope in something beyond this world, that we could put our hope in the new heavens and a new earth and a creation that's being made new. So let me pray for us and we'll worship. God, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share uh, my testimony. And I pray that it would resonate, that you would, that you would make these words, the words that they need to be for the people that hear them. God, that they would hear what you have to tell them about coming out of that place of seeing you as not just the, the truth, but also a God who is good and a God who is present and a God who is working on our, on our part, that you are actively involved in our life. And I pray that you would minister to us now as we worship and we put you in your rightful place and we say that there is nothing in this world as worthy as you and that we want to worship you. We want to put you in the place that you deserve this morning. Amen.